Our second reading is from Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 24. You can find this in your Pew Bible on page 964 and in your bulletin. Hear the word of God. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break and, ste- break and eat and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So, if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in your in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devout to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. This is the word of the Lord. Back in the late 80s, uh, surrounded by wealthy socialites, a beautiful woman sat at a dinner party on a luxury boat. To her surprise, a millionaire sitting near her passed a note asking, Will you go to bed with me tonight for $10,000? Blushing, the woman paused for a moment and wrote back, Yes. Few minutes later, they left the party. When they were alone, the man asked the woman, Would you go to bed to me, uh, with me for $10? Outraged, she asked him, What kind of woman do you think I am? The man said, Matters of fact, I've already determined what kind of woman you are. Now, we're just trying to find your price. Satan works on the assumption that every person has a price. Often, unfortunately, he's right. Many people are willing to surround themselves and their principle to whatever will bring them the greatest short-term profit. The Bible tells us that greed is idolatry. Idolatry is worshipping and serving anything other than the one true God. Everything we have, including money, is either a tool to serve God or an idol that draws us away from God. When, as we saw last week, Human beings are naturally, materially oriented. We are strongly inclined to continually desire, acquire, enjoy, and protect material possessions. We can see this through our kids. We give them a gift today. In two days, they want another one. In more three days, they want another one. Material possessions... And materialism is a serious problem among human beings. 
And it was the same in Jesus' day. We saw that the religious people that at that time, they were greedy, they were materialist, covetous. The Pharisees were lovers of money. It is clear from many passages in Scripture that Jesus is not advocating poverty as means to his spirituality. Not at all. In all of his many different instructions, we only once can observe his saying to a person to sell all his possessions to give to the poor. And in that particular case, we know the young man's wealth was his idol. And therefore a special barrier between him and the lordship of Jesus Christ. The problem was not in the wealth itself, but the man's unwillingness to part with it. The Lord did not specifically require his disciples to leave all they possessed to serve him. Even though some disciples, by their free will, just gave everything and followed the Lord. But the Lord made it clear that the cost of obedience was high. And his commands, no matter what that cost should be, follow him. And we know that the wealthy young ruler was not ready to do that. However, both testaments recognize the right to material possessions, including money, land, animals, houses, clothing, and every other thing that is honestly acquired. Wealth is not seen. Many God-fearing people in the Bible were wealthy, like Abraham, David, Solomon. But with this truth in mind, what does God expect from his people regarding possessions? If you have too much, or if you do not have anything. What is the Lord's expectation for us? First, we can, ob we can notice that the disciples of Christ must have a single treasure. When you come back, or when we come back to verse 19 of chapter 6, the Lord says, do not lay up for yourselves Treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. Layup is the Greek word tesauriso, and treasures tesauros. They come from the same basic Greek term, which is also the source of our English tesauros, a treasury of words. Jesus is saying, how absurd it is for someone to accu accumulate for himself perishable earthly treasures and ignore accumulating heavenly and imperishable riches. Earthly treasures are vulnerable to decay and embezzlement. In all probability, the terms moth and rust 
represent, represent all those agents and processes which cause earthly treasures to diminish in value and ultimately cease altogether to serve their purpose. Like, bread becomes moldy, garments wear out, fields become overgrown with weeds, walls and fences fall, roofs decay, and houses begin to leak. So, regardless the care we have with our material possession, they will disappear in time. They cannot remain forever. And for the second peril, embellishment, gives break and still. Though the adobe walls of the houses Jesus was thinking about, the thief could easily break through and steal the poorly guarded treasures. But when the Lord says that we should invest in heavenly treasure, what would be the treasure in heaven? Do you have an idea? William Hendrickson comments, they are those blessings in store for us in heaven, which are heavenly in character, but which we enjoy even now. We think of our standing with God as persons completely forgiven, the prayers answered, and our names enrolled in heaven, the love of the Father, the welcome not only to the heavenly nations, but also to the Savior's own heart. Those heavenly wealth, and blessings can be enjoyed by the saints even now. If you are saved, if we received the Holy Spirit, we can enjoy all those blessings now. Not completely, but when Jesus returns, we will enjoy this in a perfect way. But it's not just that. There are some who assert that all Christians will be alike in heaven. Will be all equal. But I think this is an error. Jesus would not tell us to store up treasure in heaven if there was no value for the treasure in heaven. Many Christians mistakenly think that we will spend eternal, eternity only in heaven. However, after the second coming of Christ and the final judgment, all the saved people will inhabit the new Jerusalem, which is also called new heaven and new earth. There, we will have a glorified body. We will have a home. We will eat and drink. So, we're going to have material possession or possessions, but not perishable. Those possessions will remain forever. Even though our salvation is acquired, is acquired only through the blood of Christ and in our trust in his sacrifice at the cross. But what we're going to enjoy in heaven is related in the way that we spend our time, our talents, 
and our resources, our money here. Salvation is not through good deeds, it's only by faith in Christ's sacrifice, but the way that we're going to enjoy the new heaven and new earth, the level of honor, the level of joy, and also the amount of possession is related with what we do here and how we spend what the Lord trusted to us. This is clear. For example, the missionary who is martyred will be honored differently. Those who are faithful in offering above their tithe will be rewarded. It's clear in Matthew 6.20 that we can lay up and these things are treasures of value in heaven. Thinking on that, we need Lord's wisdom regarding what we acquire now. Even when what we want is apparently something nice. Randy Alcorn well observes when he says, Acquiring a possession may also push me into redefining my priorities and make me unavailable for ministry. If I buy a boat, the problem isn't just the money. I must now justify my passage by using the boat, which may mean frequent weekends away from the church, making me unavailable to teach at a Sunday Bible school, or work in the nursery, or lead a small group, or fill in the blank. As Jesus said, worries and wealth can choke me, make me unfruitful. So, what is our treasure, church? A.W. Tozer suggests we may discover the answer by responding to four basic questions. First, what Tangible things do we value most? Second, what would we must hate to lose? Third, what do our thoughts turn to most frequently when we are free to think of what we will spend our money on? And finally, what affords us the greatest pleasure? Perhaps, an eternal perspective will change our preferences. Do I really need a new car? Or an extra house? Or extra clothes? Or expensive shoes? Especially you ladies. Whatever treasures we store up on earth will be left behind when we leave. And we will allow your children and grandchildren fight each other. Friendship is over. Family peace is over. Why? You left too much to them. It's a real problem. But whatever treasure we store up in heaven will be waiting for us when we arrive. And guess what? How long will you live here? 80, 90, 100 our pastor told me that he's willing to live 130 years. Am I correct, pastor? We don't know. But guess what? In new heaven and new earth, we're going to live forever. And there is a treasure waiting for us. 
Remember, our entry there is only by the blood of Jesus. But the amount of treasure that we will have there, it's related with how we spend our time, money, and gifts here. The reality of eternal rewards inevitably fosters an investment mentality. For instance, with $45,000, I may be able to buy a new car. But with the same amount of money, I could help translate scripture for an unreached people group. Or support a church planting. Feed the hungry in the name of Christ. If I have an investment mentality, I ask myself, what's the better investment for eternity? Maybe I can, I can choose a $35,000 $35, car. And then invest 10000 in feeding the poor or spreading the good news of Christ. But when we turn back to the text... We notice in verse 22 and 23 that the disciples of Christ need to see clearly. Look at back verse 22 when the Lord says, The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? The eye here represent, represents our heart. The heart is the eyes of the soul, through which the illumination of every spiritual experience shines. It is through our hearts that God's truth, love, and all the other spiritual blessings come upon us. When our hearts or spiritual eyes are clean, then our whole body will be filled with light. And the word our translation uses is when our eye is healthy. In the original Greek, the word is haulos can also be translated as singular. Meaning a heart devoted to the Lord in a singular, unique way. Bishop, Bishop John Rayo said, Singularity of purpose is one of the keys to spiritual prosperity. The Christian who accumulate, accumulates land and house and bank accounts, but doesn't invest in eternity isn't depicted by Jesus in his sermon as unrighteous, greed, or selfish. Though he could be all of these. Rather, he is depicted as short-sighted, blind. Why? Because he is investing all his life, strength, and resource in this earth that will disappear in the second coming of Christ. No matter how beautiful and nice your house is, how beautiful your garden is, everything will disappear. 
If our eyes are bad, no light will be able to enter our body, and our whole body will be full of darkness. Clear eyes can help us better understand God's invitation to send treasures ahead. I remember that all of our seven churches in Japan were committed to helping an orphanage in India. And with $30 per month, we could support a child with food, education, and also uh, with his expenses in the orphanage, the complete, the full expense. And our churches were very excited on that. I remember that in 2010, the orphanage needed to buy a 4 by 4 car. But they didn't have any resource. A Brazilian couple profited by investing in buying and selling tons of coffee. They were about to buy another shipment when they heard that. So they decided to not buy at that time and buy the car the orphanage needed. And at the same time, by God's providence, uh, another businessman closed a deal with them to use all the coffee they had and pay a year later at current financial values. You know what happened? A year later, due a heavy rainstorms, the value had multiplied tenfold. And they rejoiced in the Lord and kept investing in heavenly treasures through the missionary work and social work of the church. God often multiplies for those who are generous. But turning back to the text, we finally notice that the disciples of Christ must have a single master. Take a look back in the verse 24. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. This third element will show us alliance to our master. The Greek word is kyrios, refers to the master of a slave. The idea is not of a boss for whom one works satisfactorily. For a slave, there was no specific workload. He would be at his master's disposal full time as an obligation. He could not give a part of his time to anyone else as that would reduce service to his master. One day in our past, we confess Jesus Christ as our Savior and also as our Lord, as our Kyrios, as our Master. He owns not just our soul. He owns everything that we are and that we have. And what the Lord is saying to his disciples is that although we might have both God and money, we cannot serve both God and money. I might have two jobs, three sisters, five friends, 
It's hard to find, but sometimes we have. But only one spouse. There are some relationships by their very nature who are exclusive. The most basic of these is our relationship with God. And Randy Alcorn also mentions there is a throne in each life only big enough for one. Christ may be on that throne. Money may be on that throne. But both cannot occupy that throne. Mammon is a false god. It is the antichrist in the true meaning of the word. The Greek preposition anti does not fundamentally mean against, but instead of. Hence, an antichrist is not just one who is against Christ, but one who is substitute for Christ. We cannot declare that we are slaves of Christ, we are servants of Christ, but all of our decisions, all of our plans, all of our worries are related with our money, possessions, and how to invest, and how to grow it here. As I already said, we can be rich, and the Lord can give us a lot, but we need to have our minds just driven to eternity and use our resource to extend his kingdom. Two men owned farms side by side. One was a bitter atheist and other a devout Christian. Constantly annoyed at the Christian for his trust in God, the atheist said to him one winter, Let's plant our crops as usual this spring, each of the same number of acres. You pray to your God, and I will curse him. And then, when October comes, let's see who has the bigger crop. So, when October came, the atheist was delighted because his crop was larger. He said, see you fool. He taunted, what do you have to say for your God now? The Christian said, my God, my God doesn't settle all his account in October. The point is, eternity will come for everyone. And everyone will face God's judgment. And be accountable how they manage their life. In whom they trusted. In the only true God. And in his son Jesus Christ. Or they trusted on their material possession. Money or relationships. Someday. All of us will check out of this earthly world. And we need wisdom today. The beginning of this sermon, I shared the Satan's assumption that everybody has a price. And that's true. We as Christians, we have a high price. But this high price and value was paid by Jesus Christ. Through his death on the cross, 
When he exclaimed, Tetelestai, that means it is finished. He paid the necessary amounts to bring salvation for us. If we had 10,000 lives, we could not pay for our salvation. Only the Son of God could do, could do this. And we received the salvation freely by faith through His grace. However, He will bring to us the new heaven and new earth. And remember, the amount of joy, the amount of honor, and the amount of possessions that we will enjoy there is related with how we live our lives today. Loving offerings, acts of service, silent acts of charity, donations to help missionaries, orphans, widows, and a multitude of other things all add to our account in new heaven and new earth. May the Lord give us wisdom. We still have time. We still have time to make wise decisions and spend everything that we are for the glory and extension of God's kingdom. May the Lord bless us. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we praise you. We praise you because in the eternity, you decided to love us and elect us, not just to enjoy the new heaven and new earth, but you also chose us to live a holy life while we are here. We chose us to spread your good perfume. To spread the good news of salvation. And Lord, help us as your flock. Help us to make wise decisions. And to follow your path and live as disciples. Do not allow, Lord, that the materialistic blindness come to our homes. Come to our families. Help us to raise our kids and grandkids in your way. And teaching them to love what is eternal. And to invest. And to invest in the eternity. We praise you, Lord. Because one day, all of us will meet you. And we want to listen. Well done, good and faithful servant. Help us, Lord. This we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Stand with me as we sing our...